Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Vancouver, Canada is ground zero for the opioid crisis in Canada with fentanyl overdose deaths at an all-time high. To save lives and support their marginalized community, a group of current and former drug users volunteer at the Overdose Prevention Society, a safe injection site. Through intimate observations, Colin Askey's debut feature documentary looks beyond the stigmatization of injection drug users and offers hope and, and empathetic ways to approach the crisis ravaging too many communities, not only in Canada, but in the United States and around the world. The film, again, is called Love in the Time of Fentanyl, and we're joined today by the director, Colin Askey. Colin, welcome to Film School Radio. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, I, as I said, it's a very powerful film, and the degree to which we get to know these people who are working in the in OPS is a not only a revelation but an honor to be able to see these people at the very heart of what has got to be a wrenching situation in uh, Vancouver and as I said other places and to get to understand how you can go about solving or at least mitigating the devastation of a drug addiction in ways that are human humanizing and empathetic how did you get to know these people what drew you to want to do this particular documentary film yeah, so I actually uh, worked in this community for many years, and uh, I, you know, came from my own experience with addiction and was court ordered into treatment when I was a teenager, and went on to work in kind of abstinence-based twelve-step uh, recovery for for many years. And then when I came to Vancouver, I was going to film school actually, and and was looking for work, and had lots of friends that you know, we're, we're starting to work in this downtown east side. And I thought, well, with my experiences, I'll be a shoo-in. And I was introduced to the world of, of harm reduction and found myself working in the first safe injection site in North America. And it really kind of went against everything that I thought I understood about this issue and, and you know, what I was kind of taught personally. But I also was seeing, you know, the, the amazing benefits of this and also kind of just knew rationally whether, you know, I gave a person a clean syringe or not was not going to change whether they used or not. And uh, and it really woke me up to just like a whole new way of thinking about this stuff. And, you know, when you're working there and you're, you're meeting people that really aren't welcome anywhere else in society uh, and ha finally have a place where they can not be judged and treated with dignity, you really kind of see these magical relationships being formed. And here you know, stories of, of heartbreak and unbelievable trauma, but also of, of courage and kind of the resilience and also just really changes like my personal ideas. And I think a lot of society's ideas of who people who inject drugs are, you know, and, and I, I was finding some amazing, compassionate people that really were just looking for, for finally somewhere to be and be safe. And, and it also like people think it's these kind of places are opposed to treatment and, and, you know, having worked there, I don't think, you know, in all the different aspects of addiction I've worked, I've never seen anywhere refer more people to detox and, and treatment than these sites, because, you know, when people wanted help, this is where they knew that they had people had their back and stuff. So that was kind of how I was introduced to the world of harm reduction and this community. And uh, I went on to work there for many years and really fell in love with that place. And a lot of people that come to Vancouver's downtown east side, maybe 
drive by and they really, you know, see the the poverty and see it as a problem area. And for those of us that, you know, have had the honor of being a part of it, really, you know, underneath the surface, there's so much love and support and compassion in that place that, that I really uh, fell in love with. And I moved to, to New York in 2016, kind of right as fentanyl was, was hitting the heart in Vancouver. And it's really known globally as kind of ground zero as the, the overdose crisis, because there's a large concentration of injection drug users in a, in a small area. And, uh, and it's where fentanyl, one of the first places it really took over the drug supply. So people, you know, were, were, didn't know that this was happening and dying in, in really uh, high numbers in a quick amount of time. And it felt like almost weekly, we were getting calls of people that we've known and loved that were, were passing away. And lots of people that I had worked with, you know, were just going through hell trying to, to figure this out. And also the media at the time was really kind of focused on the, the paramedics and uh, they were, you know, bless them doing, it was tough, it's tough on everyone, this crisis, but it was really like the community members themselves that were organizing when no one else knew what to do to, to teach themselves how to use naloxone. And they were the real first responders, you know, and their friends and family members that were overdosed. And they were the ones that were always the first ones there. And oftentimes reversing overdoses before paramedics even got there. And so I wanted to kind of shine a light on that and, and uh, knowing know, knowing the people that were doing this work and this community and, and the not only tragic, horrific crisis that was happening, but the bravery of the response and the courage and the and the love that was happening there. I want to get into the, you know, the the art of of filmmaking here with you in a in a second, but I want to talk a little bit about harm reduction. This whole this whole idea of a different kind of approach instead of our incarceration and the, the way that for many 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 years addiction has been treated. At least it's been expunged from our 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 view of the of these people who are going through this. Um, let's talk a little bit about that. What, what does that mean when you when we're talking about what they're trying to accomplish here? Yeah, so I think basically what they're trying to do is just save lives. And I think that it's a complicated issue. And I think we'd all love to see people that are struggling with, with drug use uh, maybe get into recovery and be what we envision their are. are project our kind of values and vision for what is healthy and successful and, and and all that. But the reality is that everyone has their own path and all harm reduction is really saying is that people can't get into recovery if they're dead, you know? So we need to acknowledge that uh, someone, especially now with fentanyl, isn't maybe ready for detox or treatment, or maybe it's not going to work. And it's the evidence is there that it is a, like a chronically relapsing issue. And so, and sometimes it doesn't work at all for people. And so we need to have different options and harm reduction is just saying any, you know, any positive change or even just being there for someone if they're homeless and, and on the street and need a safe place to just be inside for a minute is, is, is helping. It's just really facing the reality of, of what we're dealing with instead of trying to say uh, and exclude people and say, okay, unless you're ready to get clean, we're sober, then we have nothing for you. And clearly yeah. that's what we've been doing for a long time. And we now have over a hundred thousand deaths a year in the U S. So yeah. uh, I think it's time to maybe look at some other options. Right. I don't, I didn't see, I don't recall seeing any police in the film. There might've been a, it's sort of in tangentially, uh, you know, in the film, as opposed to here in the United States, I guess I can say with some degree of optimism that the treatment of addiction in the United States is moving more or less in the right direction seems to be a little better but it's generally speaking our view of of 
intervening in addiction uh, and dealing with people who are addicted has been a law enforcement issue for for a very long time. Yeah, and it's it's still similar in in Canada. I think Canada's just had time in in the '90s. <clears throat> there was also an overdose crisis and an HIV crisis. And in the community of the downtown east side, it was, again, people who use drugs and community activists that rose up and said, hey, we've got to look at this different. And luckily, at that time, people were willing to try something different. And it was still controversial and still took a while. But the conversation started a little earlier. Also, the time to be able to see the benefits you know, of a safe injection site or of maybe not just arresting someone only to come back and have the same issue. So I think people just have had that little bit longer especially in the downtown east side to see what doesn't work and what does. But yeah, like there's still police there. There's still, it's, it's complicated. Yeah. Like I yeah, it's, yeah. it's a lot better than the U S but, but still, still difficult. But I think, yeah, like people definitely acknowledge and it's small amounts are decriminalized now in yeah. BC and, and people acknowledge that, yeah, that, that just doesn't work, you know? So we want to, if you want to help people throwing them in jail is not going to do anything. Well, one other thing, one last thing about all this uh, is that is fentanyl itself is a synthetic, and it and what's what's kind of the the thing that we need to know most about fentanyl is that it is highly addictive, and there's and it sounds like there's something about this synth, synthetic drug that makes it increasingly more difficult for people to get away from it, and oftentimes it's introduced into drugs that people are completely unaware of. It's not like people are lining up to shoot to to do fentanyl. Or is that a? I don't know. I may be all completely yeah, wrong. So but. it's it's taken over the drug supply in in the downtown east side now. So people, you know, even given the option, a lot of folks would would prefer fentanyl now. And really, okay. The, the problem is, it is not when it's on the black market. You don't know the amount, and and initially, people didn't even know fentanyl was in it. So it's very, you know, it's just a lot more potent and a lot smaller amounts, and so. I, I would it, say, it, excuse me. Does it mimic heroin? Is that what it mimics? Yeah, it, yeah. It's an it's an opioid. Okay. But I would also say that you know fentanyl and and is really what we're looking at is is the result of prohibition. And if there was no black market for fentanyl to enter, it wouldn't be here. And people didn't have a reason to try and figure out how to smuggle things uh, and make them higher potency. Uh, in the black market, you know, it it wouldn't have to be there. And if you look at a country like Switzerland, it's a very kind of conservative country, but also very rational. When when they were dealing with these same issues in the 80s with massive amounts of injection drug use in their parks, they introduced harm reduction and kind of saw the benefits of it working, saw how much, you know, it saved lives and reduced, you know, public drug use and syringe litter and also saved, saved money that they went full steam ahead and started offering opiate assisted therapy, which means giving free heroin to chronic injection drug users. And so, and that, that, you know, people might think that's crazy and that that really is going to encourage drug use, but that doesn't really, you know, not, not everyone is like, Oh, there's free drugs. So I'm going to go try heroin. It's really uh, treating it as a healthcare issue. So the country hasn't seen an increase in, in addiction because of it. And it's also no longer has this, market for fentanyl to really enter so we don't see the catastrophe like it is it's taking over the drug supply in new york now and um, slowly spreading across the states and so this crisis isn't going to end anytime soon and i think uh we have to start looking at you know what may be the causes of this besides you know it's just addiction it's also our policies and the way we approach this issue that's really uh, making it that much more deadly yeah i want to remind our listeners of speaking with colin askey is the 
director of a documentary film called Love in the Time of Fentanyl. And it is coming up for a, a series of screenings at the DC TV Firehouse Cinema in New York City. So you happen to be listening to the sound of our conversation. You can check it out there starting on February 3rd through the 9th. That's John Alpert's uh, outfit. Is that right? Um, I think so, yeah. 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 Terrific documentary filmmaker in his own right and also it will be uh it's u.s broadcast premiere will is coming up on february 13th on pbs independent lens so please be looking for this um it, so thank you for indulging me sort of the sort of understanding of of what this harm reduction is and and the drug itself but what is so outstanding about your work here is that this level of intimacy to get to know the people who are working at OPS, particularly Ronnie, is it Grig? Am I saying that right? Ronnie yeah. Grig? Yeah. Ronnie Grig is just a remarkable person amongst many remarkable people, but he seems in some ways, your eyes are drawn to him by, by his look and by his bearing and certainly seems like a quiet leadership that he provides for everyone and and tireless. I, I can't underscore this enough. The people who are in this film who are dealing with these issues are tireless and and they're and they care about the people that we see them interacting with in ways they're just remarkable um tell me a little bit about how you got to know ronnie was there any reticent on the part of the people there for you to come in and do what you did well i as i was saying i worked at uh in this community for many years and actually worked with ronnie at the the first safe injection site in north america at in insight and we used to do night shifts together and and I, we always got along great and had great conversations because I think, you know, Ronnie came back from a very came from a very religious background, and I came from the you know the abstinence-based recovery background, and so we both kind of were like in worlds that uh, we shouldn't have been, and really opening our minds to it. So we we had uh, so many great talks. I remember uh, working those night shifts and and when we first started doing this work. So yeah, I probably known him for you know ten years before I started filming this. And uh, and I also knew Sarah for many years, and and that's kind of why I knew that this was the right place to be in. Like, Ops, the Overdose Prevention Society, where where this film takes place, was one of many responses by the community to to address this crisis and to to save their loved ones. And so there was lot lots of similar pop up sites, but it was this was a place that I was very close with a lot of people that that worked there. And obviously, the to film in a very vulnerable uh, setting like this, you know, you you need that trust, and they don't usually let a lot of people hang out in these sites, a because you know the media often gets it wrong and exploits it and and doesn't do justice to what's going on, but also just because you don't want to be in the way of life saving services, and um, it's you know as you can see a very busy very busy place. So having worked there allowed me to know kind of you know, how, how to move around and, and also uh, make sure that I uh, had people on board and that I would, you know, before I even started filming, I would always enter the rooms and get an idea of who uh, wanted and didn't want to be on camera. And there was lots of communication with the staff to to make sure that it, it was done right and, and not going to be in anyone's way. It is very respectful of people's space and their, and their privacy and such. You can, you can see it in the film and uh, I mean, there's some st striking imagery here. Um, the people who work there are some of them. I don't know what percentage of them are are active drug users, and we see that in on in the film. And there are these uh, cubicle like 
areas where people can come in and there are ways in which you can test the drugs that you are about to inject. And all of it seems so incongruous to what we're used to seeing. And yet as you watch it, you feel the comfort level with everyone there and you begin to see it in the, I think in the proper way, you just, as you've been describing it, this is, these people are not, they are doing what they're going to do. We need to provide them with a safe place to, to do what they're doing. And also the opportunity for recovery, if they choose is always there for them. And it's all the people, I mean, it's just a remarkable environment. Uh, and I think you capture it beautifully. Uh, um, am I doing justice to describe the way it is? Yeah, I really, I really appreciate everything you said there. It was, it was my hope is to, yeah, like uh, with understanding of, and, it, and for a lot of us that have worked in this environment, it's a real tough thing because there's nothing really to point to as far as like explaining what we do when we did this work, you know, and I know that that was one thing that Ronnie often speaks about is how grateful he was to have a light shone on it because uh, um, it's often so controversial and it's often people are used to um, when people do see it, just, you know, gross remarks about of what's going on in there and it's never really done right. So that was my real focus of trying to just share with people what I experienced while working there. And that really helped because I knew that beyond, you know, just, just people using drugs, there was so much uh, uh, love and laughter going on too. And it was a trying to shine some light on the crisis and the tragedy, but also just the life that was inside these places. Yeah. And also there's a subtext to the film, which is a lack of opportunity, poverty, trauma, there are things that are in, you can see that people are dealing with a lot. And these are, as I think I said in the introduction, the most vulnerable and marginalized people in society. They're outcasts for for all the wrong reasons. And um, I, again, I think it provides also, I believe if I'm saying this correctly, there's a fair number of indigenous uh, people who are also in going through addiction or living with addiction I, again there's a i think there's a way to look at this film and look at this uh, what's going on at ops as a, as a broader look at society and yes, i think it comes you. across and i pardon me go ahead yeah i really really appreciate that and that that i think is uh, some audience might not expect about it is that a lot of these overdose crisis or opioid epidemic you know films are really focused on trying to find this answer and this the, the cause of addiction and this film really isn't about that it's really just kind of like uh trying to help people hopefully uh, ask different questions about what's going on and and look a little deeper um in, into kind of the 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 system that you know i think works for some people and definitely fails a lot of people and uh this is you know drug use is one side of of that but the it's really uh, a lot, lots of layers of that is what I hopefully brought to the film and, and what I hope people, uh, you know, would, would just, just just come out of it with, with some more questions. Beautifully said. More questions need to be asked. And congratulations, first of all, on the film itself. Uh, the executive producer of the film is Sean Baker, one of my favorite filmmakers. Uh, and uh, just uh, seems like I've had him on the program a few times, a very decent soul himself. Yeah. And glad to see him involved. And again, the film is called Love in the Time of Fentanyl, and it will be premiering at a U.S. premiere here on PBS's Independent Lens on February 13th. 
just one last statistic I think people need to know in terms of all of this. In 25 years, more than 1 million people have died in drug overdoses worldwide. In the 35 years worldwide, no one has died of an overdose in an OPS prevention site. So that's a good takeaway for, for our audience. And um, my congratulations. One, one more in there. There's In New York, they just opened the first two public uh, sites in the U.S., and in the first year, they saved over 600 lives and also over uh, $20 million in, in emergency service costs. So it's another important number. All the right reasons. All the right reasons we're talking about this. Um, well, my congratulations to you, Colin Askey, for your work on love in the time of fentanyl. And when the time comes, I hope you come back and join us again. Thank you. Really appreciate you having me. And thanks so much. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio. Film School Radio.